Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. Take an extended lunch break here on a Monday. You deserve it. They've got a ton of great beer options, uh, great burgers here at Cap Ale. Love the wings as well. Uh, the Capitol Club is a really good sandwich that uh, I think I'm going to head home with today. Uh, but it is the Nell World Tour. Linnell Willingham taking his victory lap around the country because he did say that Sam Howell was holding this commander's offense back. And I thought he was wrong. I thought the, the young quarterback had it all. But now after taking a few calls, it seems like the fan base is already turning on the young quarterback. Yeah, Neil Greenberg come on the show and say he is not the guy. Linnell, welcome back to the show. What's up, Awad? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How's your victory lap? Is everyone around? Pat, you on the back? I got to stop you. This is is not a victory lap. I am a fan (laughs) first. Like, never forget that. I am a fan first. It pains me. It pains me that I don't know whether or not Sam Howell is going to be the quarterback of this team moving forward. It honestly, it brings me to tears. But based off of what you've seen offensively through the first seven weeks of the season, the inconsistencies is really what's starting to bother me with Sam. The, the sack issue is one thing. Yesterday, he had a turnover that led directly to a giant score two plays later. I believe PFF has graded him with five turnover-worthy throws yesterday. Yeah. So it just hasn't been it just hasn't been consistent enough for me with Sam. There is ten games left to go in the season. Um, there is room for improvement, obviously, and I think he's got the right mental makeup to get better. But at this point, seven weeks in, I'm, I'm really disappointed at what we've seen offensively, and the offensive line and Eric Bieniemy are, are not free of blame in this either. I think the way I described yesterday's loss, Adam, everyone's hands are dirty. Offense, no. defense, special teams. No, you're right, and it's just it's just a typical of the Ron Rivera coach team here, and that's why you know I ultimately put the blame on him. Is every year, every season, every game, the team starts slow under Ron Rivera. It's unacceptable. Uh, but in terms of quarterback Sam Howell, I think that you have to be worried that he's losing the locker room. All right, a, a big part of you know well, what makes a quarterback have success is the trust that he has with his wide receivers and his tight ends and the fact that they stick up for him. Well, the first time we had the crack in that was this post-game with Terry McLaurin saying that I've been talking to Coach Biennium, I've been talking to Sam Howell. I want the ball more in these 50-50 situations that Heineke succeeded on last year. And so I think a lot of these sacks, you have to say, hey, Taylor Heineke was getting out of these sacks. He was making some magic. He was throwing it downfield. He was a little bit shifty. Uh, with his lateral movement, and he gave his wide receivers an opportunity to make the catch, whereas Sam, he's he's turning into a turtle and shell a lot of times and just falling down. Yeah, I actually have not heard Terry's post-game comments yet to this point. I'll probably listen to that as soon as I get off with you. But I think it's something that you're, you're absolutely right about, Adam, especially with a young quarterback, right? Having the confidence and trust of your teammates – is so important because you know how it is with young players in the National Football League. Sometimes maybe you don't believe in yourself until someone else does. I know this offseason they came out and spoke glowingly about Sam. Even through the first six weeks of the season, I think, uh, they've been speaking highly of Sam. I don't expect this locker room to turn on him at any point during the season. 
with that being said, though, I do think it's fair to pose the question of, you know, moving forward, does Sam give us the best chance to win? Now, like I said earlier, a few moments ago, everyone's hand is dirty in what happened yesterday, but taking the amount of sacks that this young man has taken for the first seven weeks, I mean, he's on a historical pace right now, and I just don't know moving forward if it's fair to the rest of the guys on both sides of the football to put his development over winning games. And right now, that's where I think they are. I think his development is more important to Ron and company than winning games is. And I've disagreed with that stance back in, dating back to the offseason. It's year four of a five-year deal, Adam. Why wait until the fourth year of your tenure to try and develop a franchise quarterback? That's, excuse my French, it's just ass backwards. Yeah. No, Ron's a big issue. But the thing I'm worried about with Sam Howell is – I feel like Carson Wentz was a different quarterback week one against the Jags, right? Then all of a sudden he was taking sack after sack after sack after sack, and his internal clock sped up to the point where his mechanics, he lost focus. I think that's the biggest issue here is that we need to be looking at Sam Howell, and his internal clock is now clicking too quickly because of the sacks that he's taken, like you're saying. He's been beat up so much. And so I absolutely believe the second-to-last offensive player of the game, third and five from the red zone, he predetermined that he was going to throw to Terry McLaurin no matter what. And he had a couple guys open, and he said, you know what, we're blitzing, I'm going to give Terry a shot. And you can never predetermine a throw in the National Football League. And that cost them that third down. And then on fourth down, he makes a good play to get away from the sack, but then he threw it behind Dotson. And Logan Thomas was wide open. And he's running for his life on fourth down. You never want that from your young quarterback. Yeah, that fourth down play in particular is like super interesting. If you go back and watch it, it's one of those situations where Charles Leno, if you pay attention to the left tackle, number 72, identifies the free rusher. Basically is telling Sam, hey, look, you're responsible for the end man on the line of scrimmage. We're all going to slide to the right, leaving you responsible with the free edge defender. Sam does his job, is able to evade the pressure. But then, as you mentioned, Adam, it is really tough. And I understand you're rolling to your left. You're a right-handed quarterback. I get all of that. But after watching Tua Tungavailoa and Jalen Hurts on Sunday Night Football last night, they made that throw routinely. That's my yeah. thing with Sam. And I think on he could have ran, too. You know, I, I just he think he could have ran. You mentioned he had Logan yeah. open. The ball was behind Jahan. I understand everyone's giving Jahan a lot of crap. He's a first-round wide receiver. It hit him in the hands. But, Adam, tell me how, how good your memory is. Even if Jahan catches that ball that's behind him, because it's thrown behind him, I don't know if he picks up the first down. He's right, right. at the sticks. It ends up being a bang-bang play. I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my issues with Sam yesterday. Even when he did have time, Adam, it felt like a couple of times he's missing the quote-unquote layups. And when you're a National Football League quarterback, you got to make the layups. I understand the fourth down throw going against your strength is, is not really a layup, but you got to make that throw, man. That's the difference between being a fringe starter and a guy who I'm confident leading my offense for for 17 weeks. Yeah, no, last night looked like a quarterback who has regressed, and I agree he's missing the layups. I thought the interception should have been a layup, you know, kind of bullet throw to Jahan Dotson, but he kind of just lollipopped it, and the the linebacker made a play on it. So it's a misery Monday. We're all depressed. Lael, is there anything that you're positive about after that game? Um... (laughs) 
Adam, I'm not going to lie, man. It, it, it's not a lot of positive takeaways I have coming from Sunday. The one thing that I think we're all noticing as a fan base in the last two weeks, their seventh-round pick from the University of Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez, getting early action, and this is going to be a hot take. I don't even want to say it's a hot take. This is just how I feel after watching him run for two weeks. It feels like he's got better vision than Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. Like He's a more natural back. We know Gibson is a converted wide receiver, and B-Rob played running back at Alabama where things in the holes were probably a lot bigger and wider for him. Vision is something that I know people have complained about with B-Rob, but it looked like dating back to the Atlanta game last week, every time Chris Rodriguez touches the football, good things happen. That's a bright spot for me. Um, Defensively, this is going to sound crazy, but I was impressed with Benjamin St. Juice yesterday. I really was. I understand that he gives up the two big plays, to Jalen Hyatt, that happens when you're playing man-to-man coverage in the National Football League. You get beat at times. But the five other pass breakups that he had, I thought was really impressive. He played with sort of like a quiet confidence, the ability to break on the football, not really respecting Tyrod's ability to throw the ball deep. But eventually it ends up coming back to bite St. Juice's. They had that huge connection uh, in the fourth quarter to Jalen Hyatt that really, to me, put a fork in Washington. Linnell, great stuff, man. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show. Always appreciate you having me, my friend. Cheer up, yeah. pal. We got uh, ten more weeks of this. I know. I know. There, look, there are a couple bright spots here and there, but uh, yeah. mostly it was just an ugly game. And here we are, three and four, back below five hundred. Jameson Crowder's a bright like spot, Adam. Like Hold on. I forgot, I forgot Jameson. I love Crowder at punt return. That's a yeah. big bright spot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, buddy. If only we could make some field goals. I appreciate you yeah. chiming in. Phone lines are open. 833-804-0910. We take four of your phone calls on the Commanders next. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910, The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. And if you take a look at the AP Top 25 of college football or the NCAA Coaches Poll, you'll notice number 25. JMU, the James Madison Dukes, 7-0 and and into the top 25 with a homecoming game this Saturday night against ODU. And at this point in the show, it's time to catch you up on all the latest you might have missed from around college football action in the state of Virginia with University Drive. Let's go to University Drive. Scores, rivalries, rankings, all the college football in the state of Virginia. We'll follow the action all season long. College football, baby. University Drive on AWOD Radio. So the Dukes got a big win in the conference on Thursday night against Marshall. 20-9 to move to 7-0 on the season. 4-0 in the Sun Belt. And it was an unbelievable defensive performance for the Dukes, and the defense has been leading the way for them all season long. They held Marshall to one of three on fourth down, got a few stops with that, uh, got an interception in the red zone to kind of flip the game, and then eight sacks of Marshall's starting quarterback, uh, Cam Fancher. Eight sacks by JMU. And then offensively, Reggie Brown, six catches for 126 yards and a touchdown. Jordan McLeod. He can run the football. He can throw the football. 264 yards in the air. One touchdown on the ground with 69 yards rushing. And and the Dukes use a lot of big plays to move the ball downfield. It's not like it's a lot of, you know, five or six-yard plays. It's McLeod usually taking a deep shot uh, to Brown or running it himself. So 
JMU with a big win, gets into the top 25, 7-0 on the season, and they're at home for homecoming. That'll be 8 p.m. on October 28th against Old Dominion. And speaking of ODU, we move over to the Monarchs, who are 4-3 on the season, 3-1 in conference play, and uh, getting ready for this big-time matchup against James Madison University. Uh, they had a, a decent performance, really, against Appalachian State, uh, winning 28-21 to uh, thanks to quarterback uh, Garrett Wilson, Grant Wilson, who had 185, 188 yards throwing. They got 104 yards on the ground and a good defensive performance for the Monarchs. So big win for them coming into this major matchup here, the Royal Bank rivalry. ODU against JMU. All eyes in Virginia will be on that one. And speaking of Virginia, let's move over to UVA with the Hoos, who got their first signature win of the Tony Elliott era. You heard us last week talking with UNC beat writer Rod Baxley on the show, and he said UNC has not been good against the run this year. And really, uh, that was the issue again over the weekend. Virginia, 228 yards rushing total. Tony Musket, pretty good performance there for the transfer out of Monmouth at quarterback. He ran for 66 yards, also threw for 208 and a touchdown. But it was the combination of Mike Hollins and Parrish Jones, who both averaged over four yards a carry. Hollins, who was shot in that tragedy last year, uh, has made his way back into the lineup for UVA, had an incredible rushing performance, 66 yards, but three touchdowns. Anytime they needed a big run in the red zone, they went to the big back, Mike Hollins, and he got it done. Malik Washington and Malachi Fields have been a bright spot in this tough season for UVA as they did go to 2-5 and five on the year with the 31-27 victory, uh, but it was Malik Washington who led the way with 12 receptions for 100 and 15 yards, and it's just so funny the way college football works here. There's two wins in a row for UVA, and really, they could be like five and one on the season, uh, if not six and one, uh, because you lose the week one to Tennessee, right? And I get that that's a tough program. You're going to lose that game. All right, neutral site. I mean, my goodness, uh, they showed out there for the volunteers, and they won. Then you lose to JMU by one in a game you were up by 12 in the fourth quarter. You're up 14-0 in the first quarter against Maryland. Blow that game. And then a three-point loss to NC State, a three-point loss to Boston College, and everyone was so down on UVA. But you get the win against William & Mary, and then the first signature win of the Tony Elliott era, uh, taking care of North Carolina on the road, 31-27. to uh, Next up will be at Miami for the Hoos. And if you want more UVA coverage, keep it locked to 910 The Fan tonight at 6 p.m. for Who's Talking with Frank Maloney alongside Jim Hopgood. Let's move over to Virginia Tech, talk a little Hokies here on University Drive. They had the week off following the 30-13 win over Wake Forest. Some momentum in this program after two wins in the last three contests in the ACC. Pretty good ACC record at 2-1, fourth in the conference. Duke just lost, so they're tied with the Blue Devils. Only UNC, Louisville, and Florida State ahead of the Hokies, who had the week off and now are facing off against the only team in the ACC who is yet to win a game in the ACC. 
That's the Orangemen of Syracuse. They'll be traveling to Blacksburg for a monster Thursday night affair. I already know Blacksburg's going to be rocking. Uh, that stadium is going to be sold out. Fan base is ready for the Hokies to get another big home win. And really, that's been the theme this season. Really good at home. Big win week one against ODU at home. You lost that game at Old Dominion last year. Then Purdue. And I think they might have won that game if it wasn't for the six-hour rain delay. A couple road losses. Then you beat Pittsburgh and Wake Forest at home. Uh, so if they can continue to take care of business at home, uh, you could be looking at a bowl game this year for the Hokies. They've got Syracuse Thursday night. And then uh, you travel to Louisville, travel to Boston College. I expect them to win that game. NC State at home, and then you close out the season at UVA. Continuing here, college football action on University Drive. A ton of good games over the weekend. Uh, I, I thought Penn State was going to get the, the win. I'll admit I was wrong about that. Ohio State's defense was the difference, and Marvin Harrison Jr.'s 11 catches for 162 yards and a score. The Blue Devils had a halftime lead against Florida State but they would come back to win 38-20. to 20. Uh, Oklahoma with a close game. They win a thriller against UCF, 31-29. Texas beats Houston, 31-24. Oregon wins the late game against Washington State, 24-38. And then USC could not handle Utah. Number 14 tops, number 18 USC on a game-winning field goal. Caleb Williams had his first really struggling performance he was 23 of 34 he was sacked a ton of times uh he fumbled one time didn't lose it he did recover it but for the first time uh I would say it's the second time this season in both of their losses Caleb Williams has struggled at times now I do think he's going to be a, a Heisman candidate but th they've lost two in a row now now against good programs in Nor Notre Dame and Utah but Caleb Williams has not looked like the Heisman Trophy winner that he did last season. And their schedule doesn't get any easier. At California next week, then number five, Washington, then number eight, Oregon, and then they close the season against number 23, UCLA. I think their hopes of getting into the college football playoffs are through. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on Richmond's home for the Commanders, the new sports radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, always available on the go on the Odyssey app. I'm broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck, as you can join me here every Monday throughout the NFL season, live and local from 12 to 3 p.m. And happy hour just got happier at Cap Ale. So it's Monday through Friday from 3 to 6.30 it includes $2 off draft beers, $3 off wine, $3 off liquor drinks, and $3 off um, some special appetizers, including Bavarian pretzels, Belgian-style fries, loaded fries, fried pickles, and five-piece wings. And also, need to let all the listeners know that Cap Ale is the best spot to watch late-night sports, right? you got the NBA returning this week, all these West Coast basketball games, Monday Night Football tonight, and that's because Cap Ale owns the late night with their half-off appetizers, and double rewards points from Sunday through Thursday. 9 p.m. to close. Half off giant Bavarian pretzel, half off nachos, half off spinach and shrimp dip, half off calamari, and all the good stuff on the appetizers list here at Cap Ale. 
Um, so I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Quick stat. I was born December of 1992. Well, Jake Russell just pointed out on social media that Sunday's loss against the Giants means Washington will enter the month of November without a winning record for the fifth straight year and the 23rd time in the last 31 seasons. Slow starts have plagued the franchise since Joe Gibbs retired after the 1992 season. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline from the Washington Post, it's Scott Allen. What's going on, Scott? Hey, Adam. I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm, I'm devastated, man. Uh, this was the worst loss of the season for me because, uh, once again, yeah. I believed that this team would win. I, I made the big mistake on Thursday against the Bears. I said, yeah, come on over. Invited all my friends for a watch party. We got blown out. This Sunday, I did the exact same thing. I made the same mistake twice. I invited all my friends over, and by halftime, I was ready to punch them all in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. I, I did the same thing. I, th- I thought the Bears game was going to be a walkover, and then even with that kind of in recent memory, I figured as beat up as the Giants were, as, as bad as they've looked this season, knowing that commander's killer Daniel Jones wasn't going to start, I figured this was an easy dub, and we were both wrong. Third down, the Commanders one for fifteen. Uh, it, it just like you see that it doesn't even seem real. It's unbelievably bad. What went wrong yeah. on third down? Uh, a, a little bit of everything. I think it, a lot of it starts with the, the constant issue from the start of the season. I think we talked in the preseason about our biggest concern about the team, and everybody knew it was the offensive line, and and that was another big problem on Sunday. I mean, a lot of pressure from the Giants. The commanders knew that Wink Martindale is a guy who loves to blitz. He blitzed even more than usual uh, on Sunday, and it was effective. And, and they were able to get to Hal on third down. He took some sacks on third down. Yeah. They pressured him into incompletions. Um, and they were in a lot of third and longs as well because of sacks earlier in series. Uh, so, so that was kind of the, the big contributor. No, no running aid to speak of, no third and shorts. Um, and, yeah, one for 15 after going – two for ten on third down against the Falcons last week. Yeah, and uh, it's just so frustrating because it feels like every week we get out coached and the opposing team has a better game plan. And I, I say it over yeah. and over again that Ron Rivera does not get his guys to play inspired football, not at 1 p.m., maybe by 2.30, but at that point it's too late. So, I mean, what do yeah. you think? Does the new ownership group make a change here or do they just sit back and say, we're, we're going to let Ron stink it up for the rest of the season? Yeah, I I thought about this a bit. I just I don't know how much there is to gain by making a change mid-season, even if the decision is already made up in in Josh Harris's mind. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, the plenty of season left to play. There are so many playoff teams that they could scrape and claw their way into a wild card spot, and you know maybe be competitive in a game. But I don't think there's any uh, question that this isn't a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs, even if if they were to make it. Um, so maybe you ride it out with, with Ron and, and Jack Del Rio and you make wholesale changes in the off season and, and go from there. But I mean, the point about the slow start, it's kind of a, a microcosm of how R- Rivera has been in his four seasons here. He's never started fast season wise. He can't seem yeah. to get his guys up uh, in the first halves of, of these games. And yet, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Washington goes out and beats the Eagles on Sunday. Um, right. They've got these 
he's developed this reputation as someone who's able to get his team to bounce back, but that's partly because he puts them in situations where they suffer just inexplicable losses to bad teams that he has so many chances to do so. So, yeah, yeah could this team go on a run and, you know, win three or four and be playing, quote-unquote, meaningful football in December? Sure, but uh, the track record shows that if they do get to be playing football in, in January, it's not going to lead anywhere. Yeah, no, it's hard to look at the schedule, the upcoming schedule, and pick a win uh, for the Commanders. And I'm just, I'm so sick of this thing with Ron Rivera. Like you said, it's always the slow starts. And my biggest issue with him is the stinkers, right? I I can get it where you you have a bad game or you have a bad quarter or even a bad half. But they stunk it up against the Bills for four quarters. They stunk it up against the Bears. And then another stinker against the Giants. And so even if you do bounce back, you still put yourself in in a bad hole here, now three and four with a tough schedule. Now, I'm not ready to give up on Sam Howell. We had uh, your colleague Neil Greenberg on the show. He said Sam's not the guy. All right, He says that uh, his statistics point out that you can't blame the offensive line as much as you can blame Sam Howell for holding on to the football. And a few callers agreed with Neil that maybe we should have gone to Jacoby Brissett at some point in the game. I mean, Scott, are you losing faith in Sam Howell? Uh, I've lost a little bit of faith. Um, I, I guess I lost a little bit of faith Sunday, but not to the point where I would pull the plug on, on keeping him in there other other than I, I think there was a defensible move to go to Brissett if the sacks continued at the rate they did. You know, after he was sacked on that first series in the second half, that was six in the game. If if he got sacked a couple more times on the next series just for his health and, you know, well being and, and mindset, I could see going to Brissett, especially if the Giants um had scored, you know, to go up twenty one nothing or something. But I'm not ready to to pull the plug on him yet. I think, you know, you've got a first year, you've got a new offensive coordinator in in Eric Bieniemy here. Let him get with Sam Howell. A whole big part of the season was to see if if Sam Howell could be the guy, if he could be a franchise quarterback. It's been a, a bit of a roller coaster, one step forward, two steps back so far with him. Um, I know a lot of the sacks are on him, according to pro football focus. I know he holds the ball too long. I know he's done that since college at North Carolina. I feel like a good coach, and we'll see if Eric Bieniemy is a good coach, can teach him to not do that or develop a scheme that's able to take advantage of his strengths. We didn't really see that until the fourth quarter on Sunday. Washington continued to have him drop back and drop back and drop back against an aggressive blitzing defense. And, you know, what did they think was going to happen? Um, so I would stick with Sam Howell and try to come up with some sort of game plan against the Eagles. They played the Eagles strong uh, in, in the first meeting of the season, took them to overtime. Um, try to get that screen game going, quick passes, something to, to bring out the best in, in him and you know see if they can make it work. And I think you, you do that for as long as he's healthy for the rest of the season. Yeah, they definitely have to work out a better first 15 plays. You can't script a three and out, you know, five times over again. That's Scott Allen. Follow him on social media, Scott S. Allen, reporter for the Washington Post. Thanks a lot, Scott. Hey, thanks, Adam. Anytime. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. What's the evaluation like after a loss like that? They whooped our Plain and simple. Got to be better. Anything they did that surprised you guys early on? 
No, I want to say so. I think it's just a lack of focus on our part, a lack of attention to detail, not starting fast, and creating holes that are too big for us to overcome in the second half. Does it get frustrating when that yes, f- it does. I'm f- tired of this. <laughs> tired of this bullshit. Been seven f- years of the same. <laughs> tired of this. What can you do now going forward to get it turned around? Get our minds right and get ready to play Philadelphia. Oh my gosh. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. The more we play that clip, the better it is. I mean, Jonathan Allen just tells you exactly how he feels. Imagine being J.P. Finley, right, in that situation. You're a reporter uh, covering the team for NBC4. You've got your own radio show. You're thinking, oh, man, i got to get this great audio here. And Jonathan Allen, I mean, it was great audio, but just F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb. He was not happy with his team after the 14-7 loss to the New York Giants. I'm not happy either. I'm frustrated. I feel like with Ron Rivera, this is just so typical. His teams never start fast. They always start slow, start season slow, start games slow, and it doesn't seem like they start playing until 2.30 p.m. They've got to get better with their first 15 plays. That, that is what was so frustrating is that you're working all week. You have a game plan. And like Sam House said, yeah, we work so hard to get this game plan. We don't want to get away from it. But how is your game plan set up against a Giants team that you know blitzes go three and out after three and out after three and out? Like, how did you not have some kind of a screen pass in there, some kind of a swing out to the running back that stops the blitz, that stops the rushing? We, we couldn't run the ball at all. All those drives had third and ten or longer, and of course your young quarterback is going to struggle against a blitz on third and ten. Not a good play calling game from head coach Eric Bieniemy. Not a good play call or not a good game from the offensive line, and the first terrible game from QB one Sam Howell. If you want to chime in, eight three three eight zero four zero nine ten. Right tackle Andrew Wiley knows this team needs to improve. Let's take a listen to the right tackle speaking with the media after the loss. Yeah, very. Uh, it's very, very frustrating. Uh, you know, seeing a 14 jersey at the end of every, every game. And, you know, it's, uh, it's on us five up front, uh, plain and simple. And, uh, you know, it's something that we need to correct. It's obviously something that they need to correct. The problem is, is that there's too many guys to blame here. There's too much blame to go around. Like, uh, you know, like Neil Greenberg said, the statistics show that the offensive line is blocking pretty decently and that Sam Howell's holding on to the football way too long, all right? And that, that's why he's taking the sacks. And he said out of the 45 sacks or whatever he's taken the season, <coughs> only 16 are off in the offensive line. The rest is on quarterback Sam Howell. But then you have Michael Phillips who says, yeah, but you can also point to the fact that <coughs> yesterday Howell only had 2.2 seconds to throw the ball. That's just not enough time. They got to have a tight end chip. You got to use multiple running backs to help out. You got to do something so that he doesn't hit his back foot and then get sacked every single time. They got to do better. Let's take a listen to Sam Howell, QB1, how he thinks his team can improve. We just got to do a better job winning our one-on-one battles. I got to do a better job getting the ball out of my hands. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. You know, they have good guys up front, and the, the way their front structured, you know, they demanded a lot of one-on-one you know, reps with our, with our guys, um, and it makes it tough, you know, especially in passing situations when those guys know they can just tee off. That's part of the issue there is that it felt like everybody watching the game knew when the commanders were going to pass. 
because it was third and third and impossible, right? You're not going to run on third and eleven. You know, how about even second and twenty? So there was a second and twenty play when Wink Martindale blitzed like eight guys. Why? Because he knew the Commanders weren't going to run on second and twenty to set up third and sixteen. And even if they did, they weren't going to get twenty yards. You know, we're just faced with these obvious passing down situations. And that's part of what's killing us. And that's why I'm looking at Coach Eric Bieniemy to have a better game plan this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Got to be much better to start the game. You cannot have your opening drive go three and out, three and out, three and out. Nobody's winning when that happens. And nobody's winning when your offense puts up seven points. And I get it. They got to the red zone three times. They should have scored 21. But they had issues there. The offensive line couldn't protect Howell. He made a mistake. He was predetermining who he was going to throw it to. And in the end, he ended up with seven points. And even though I want to blame Jack Del Rio, because I don't think he's done a good job all season long as being a defensive coordinator, and even though I want to blame Ron Rivera for not inspiring his team, it does come down to the guy who's calling the plays for the offensive side of the ball and the quarterback himself. And both Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy failed the fan base yesterday. Uh, let's hear from Terry McLaurin. After the game, talking to reporters about fixing his mistakes. Look, they're approaching the halfway point in the season. They've got to make some changes if they want any chance. We're talking playoffs, postseason at all this year. And uh, as the season goes on, we're, we're approaching about the halfway point. So we have to uh, be able to turn the corner and, and not making the same mistakes, staying ahead of the, uh, the sticks, um, not hurting ourselves with penalties. Um, finishing drives with touchdowns, starting faster, finishing better, you know. So um, the teams who are going to make those playoff push as the season go along are the teams that figure that stuff out. Teams that make the playoffs are the teams that figure that stuff out. It's going to be a long week, boys. It's going to be a long week, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this program. A lot of upset Commanders fans, and there's only one thing that this team can do to get better, and that's watch that god-awful, ugly performance over and over and over again. And, and you know what? Might as well watch some the Falcons game again because some of the things they did right in that game they got away from. How about you watch the Bears game again or the Bills game? Let's just watch all the terrible games that we had this year and all the bad performances and just throw that stuff away. We shouldn't try to do that stuff anymore. It's not working. You know, every team in the league is running double moves on us successfully. We don't have time in the pocket to run a double move, right? How frustrating is that? Yeah, Benjamin St. Juice got beat on a double move for a big first down. Once again, the commander's defense gets beat on a double move. They, that's what happens when you have tape that you can't handle that, right? It's like everyone has tape that our offensive line can't handle when there's six or seven guys in the box. We just can't handle it. All right, programming note to end the show today. Appreciate Stubbs' hard work and all the callers that chimed in. I am headed to North Carolina uh, for the ACC tip-off. Uh, presented by Cowan Gates. Cowan Gates, huge supporters of the Virginia Tech Athletics, and we'll be talking Hokies and UVA at the ACC tip-off. It's basketball season. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be joined by uh, Lady Hokies head coach Kenny Brooks as they try to make another season end with a Final Four trip for the Lady Hokies. UVA, there's a lot of expectations for Tony Bennett and the Who's this season after their Opening round lost to Furman last year. He's recruited, uh, he's recruited and and regrouped here with a lot of talented guys. And there's hopes that UVA could make a deep run in the NCAA tournament this season. So I'm headed to Charlotte for the ACC tip-off tomorrow. It's Grant and Danny coming up next.